Hi friends, welcome to the Gritty and Curious Show, a podcast where we have conversations with gritty and curious people. I'm your host, Austin Schlesinger, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with the gritty and curious Kevin Sun. Kevin is the founder of Dex Personal CRM. Dex allows you to manage all of your relationships in one place. It consolidates your connections from Facebook, LinkedIn, and a bunch of other platforms. Then it allows you to set reminders, take notes, and reconnect with your friends, coworkers, and family members. And overall, it's an awesome way to manage your social life and prioritize the relationships that matter most to you. The way that I came across Kevin and I found Dex was that I was looking for a way to manage my relationships, like a personal CRM, exactly what Dex is. And I came across Dex and I met Kevin through by founding him, finding him on the about page of their website, funny enough. And then we we talked and then I reconnected with him and said, hey, let's do a podcast. But anyway, we talk about a lot of different things today. We talk about how he came up with the idea for Dex. Dex also, the Dex team went through Y Combinator. So we talk a little bit about YC. If you don't know what YC is, it's one of the most renowned accelerators and think tanks in Silicon Valley. Um, we also talk about what his biggest strengths were with building decks. Um, I asked him if he if he always wanted to be an entrepreneur, what advice he'd give to someone who wants to start their own business, what's the future of networking, and what are his general thoughts on different social networks and the roles they play in building and maintaining relationships. It was super interesting. But anyway, it was a great conversation, and I cannot wait to share it with you all. So let's get right into it. So I guess the first thing I want to kind of want to dive into here is how do you come up with the idea for Dex? Yeah, so I'll just start off by saying, you know, appreciate the the note on Dex actually being what you're looking for. You know, it's something that I feel very lucky to hear as someone who's been working on Dex. Um, started working on Dex mostly because I had been one of those people that was also looking for a tool to manage relationships. And I had tried a bunch of the kind of data tools out there, Notion, Airtable, etc., I never really found a tool that I could keep up well with. I would kind of leave a note or like update my spreadsheet and then never really kind of come back to that. So I wanted to build something that was a little easier to use, more integrated with my workflow. And that's how Dex came about. It started off as something that would integrate with my Google Calendar, then something that would integrate with existing workflows with a Chrome extension. And that really is what Dex is today, kind of a personal CRM that helps you track relationships and hopefully is super easy to use for anyone who wants to get started. Yeah, I was literally in the same exact boat. I was trying to like manage my relationships with a an Excel sheet and then I moved to Google and now I'm on Notion and there really isn't a great great tool to do that and then I came across Dex and I was like, "Oh, this is exactly what I'm looking for." So But yeah, so you so you started this application i guess where did the where did your journey begin i mean you so you had this issue you were looking to build a your tra- you knew what you wanted and you were going to build it then where did you go from there yeah so i guess the journey really start started um, you know right after college joined a small startup as a software engineer i kind of learned how to build software learned how to talk to users and kind of get a, a handle on how the sausage is made so to speak um, and after that uh, left that job to work on a startup with a few other friends. Um, that startup didn't work out. And so I was kind of at this crossroads when I was looking for new ideas and experimenting with a, a number of different idea- ideas when I started working on Dex. Um, Dex was something that I basically just spent all day working on in my living room for a couple of months. Uh, was lucky enough to apply to YC and get in. 
And that's kind of what really propelled the journey and what made Dex the product it is today. So you get accepted to YC, and what was that? What what was that experience like? Because I've never spoken to somebody who's gone through the Y Combinator process, but I've read like all of Sam Altman's stuff, and yeah. it's it's like a very if people don't know what YC is, it's the arguably the best incubator out of Silicon Valley. And yeah, an incubator is basically a. I mean, you could you can explain. Yeah, I can give some context. So YC is a startup accelerator that's based in Silicon Valley. Um, it has a storied history. Lots, lots of great companies have come out of it. Um, Dropbox, Airbnb, to name a few. And for me and Dex, um, YC was like a, a really great experience. It's very intense, very stressful, but ultimately very rewarding. Um, after you go through their selection process, which is you know, a whole story in itself, um, you are able to spend a summer meeting really great founders, um, making sure that you can kind of push your company and your product to the limits. And ultimately, YC is a big help in kind of raising money and taking your company or your product to kind of the next stage as well. So is there like a YC network? Like after you're done with the program, are you, is there a network outside of that where you can ask people for advice or people that are companies that have gone through, through YC, are they willing to, like help each other out? Like, what is that? Are, are you still involved? Like, what is that like? Yeah, there is some network. Um, I will say, you know, YC has about 200 companies every cycle go through the batch now. So that's 400 companies a year. So to the extent where, you know, there's that YC shared affiliation, there is a network there. Practically during the batch, you'll probably meet only a handful of founders that you keep in touch with, which is certainly the case with me. Um, and you know, of the founders that you meet, you know, a lot of people are definitely receptive to helping each other out. And also, I think this is true generally in Silicon Valley. Most founders and most people are willing to take the time to help each other out. You know, everyone knows that building a company is a, a stressful, hard process. And so everyone definitely has that empathy for the founder that's just getting started. So how, how long is YC? How many weeks is it? It's uh, about three months, so 12 weeks. 12 weeks. So what is the general structure? Like what is the, what's the first thing you do? And what is, what is your, what are your days like? Elaborate a little bit on that. Yeah. So YC actually isn't too structured of a program. Um, you know, this is all available on YC's website, but basically, you know, every week there's someone who comes in to speak about uh, a company that they've created. Um, so, you know, presumably a startup founder in the YC network, um, and there are weekly dinners where you kind of meet other founders and socialize. But beyond that, there's not that much actual structure to YC. Um, what you do get during YC is the ability to meet a bunch of other founders and kind of compare yourself to other founders and see how other companies are doing. And this actually creates a lot of pressure on you to perform and to perform well, to make sure that you get more users or more revenue or more traction. Um, everyone starts at a different stage with YC. You know, some people are even uh, pre-launch to companies that have six figures of annual revenue. And so YC doesn't give like a standard set of advice for each company per se, but it does kind of help you understand like, hey, you need to get as much done as you can before YC demo day where you present to investors. Gotcha. So when you're 
I mean, you said that the the real value, I always thought that it was like a very structured program because if you go on their website and there's just so much content about, yeah. okay, this is, this is how you develop an app. This is how you do this. This is how you do that. Yeah. So I figured it was always something that was super structured, but I guess that's not. Yeah. It's kind of funny because, you know, startup school is a, you know, YC makes this thing called startup school, which is a set of videos. Um, widely distributed. Paul Graham has a set of great essays, so does Sam Altman. But actually, when you get to YC, the amount of like knowledge learning you do is more um, like directly operational rather than something that's more theoretical. Like it's kind of assumed that you've already you know gone through the startup school material, or you kind of have that knowledge as context. And during YC, you're expected to execute and execute well. So when you're when you were there, you're building this networking application. And or you had already built this networking application. What was the, what did everybody think? Like, what was the vibe? Were people like, wow, this would be super helpful where, you know, I'm meeting everybody right now. And like, were there people that were like very excited about Dex when you were there? Yeah, definitely. There's kind of a couple of different types of responses when I tell people about Dex. I think for people who understand that networking is important, um, they kind of get it immediately. They're like, yeah, you know, I've always wanted like a digital Rolodex or something to just take notes about who I've met with and where I've left off. Um, so there's some people that really do get it. And I think I was lucky enough to have a few YC partners that kind of got it during the initial interview process, which is why I was part of the batch. Um, there are definitely other people who you know, might not need a networking tool or haven't done much networking yet. So you know, it's not necessarily a tool for everyone. I'm not going to kind of pretend it's for everyone, but it is for that kind of subsection of people that do a lot of networking and typically founders of that audience. So during YC, you know, there are definitely people who I talk to who are like, oh, you know, I've been looking for a personal CRM or I've tried, you know, X, Y, and Z, like the other personal CRMs out there on the market. Um, and I was able to get, you know, my first early power users from just talking to my batchmates at YC, which was super gratifying. Yeah, I'm thinking back to when I was applying for like internships and jobs, the amount of people that you meet just from each company. Mm -hmm is incredible. And it was hard to kind of manage all of those relationships. Oh, I sent this email on this day. And thank God there's like Gmail is has a certain functionality where it says, Oh, this person, like this person hasn't responded in X amount of days. Like, can you follow up? And just outside of that, those types of relationships, like professional relationships, I guess the whole networking thing is, you're right, it's something that people eventually pick up on and say, you know, there's like, there's like so much value in maintaining your relationships over time, but it's something that you're not thinking about all the time. So if there, you know, there's what makes Dex great is that it's, it reminds you. And like I set, I set a reminder for one of my friends and it reminds me every, every month to like touch base to, with him. And it's, it's super valuable. Like I, I think that it's, it's a great tool. Thanks. Yeah. And I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess what have been your, your biggest, struggles with Dex so far? Yeah, so to dive into that, let me kind of paint you a picture of what happens after YC and the program ends. Um, because I think that's where you know the, the hard work begins, so to speak. So YC ends um, for the summer batch, it ends sometime in August. And after YC, you kind of come down from, from the high of doing the program. You know, you finish the program, hopefully you raise a little bit of money. Um, we raised a little bit of money after YC. And then the real work of of company building begins, right? Of hiring, of making sure that we're listening to our users, of growing our user base, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we've been super lucky on a lot of these fronts to have made really good progress over the last 
what is it, eight months since YC. Um, right now, looking forward on the struggles that we have with DEX, I think the biggest struggle, and you know, it's very typical for a company of our stage, is making sure that we're building a great product, making sure that we're building not only that people will use, but that people will really enjoy using and evangelize. And in particular for DEX, the one kind of key trade-off that we're thinking about all the time is do we build a product that does one thing really well, like it does reminders really well, it does keep in touch really well, um, or are we building kind of a Swiss army knife that's accessible everywhere, building a mobile app, a Chrome extension, a web dashboard, et cetera. Um, and that product tension of where we should go with the product, how we should optimize, um, what audience we're optimizing for, making sure that we hit that right balance is the biggest struggle that we're going through right now. So how do you prioritize all of those needs? Because there's, I mean, obviously as somebody that like, you built this this tool and there's lots of things that you think, oh, you know, that would be a great idea. Like, this is an awesome idea. Like, let's let's do this. But it's not exactly what your users want. So how do you manage the ideas and creativity from, from your team and also in comparison to the needs of users and how are you interacting with users to kind of get their feedback and then prioritize those needs and iterate on the product so you're building something that people actually want? Yeah, great question. Uh, so I think I would break down the um, like product feature request prioritization problem into kind of two major questions. One of them is how do we balance what users tell us what they want and what we think the users want? Um, and for a product like Dex, uh, it is a little bit tricky. Um, I think we've been very lucky to have very opinionated users that tell us like, hey, I want this, this, and this. You know, I want to be able to sort my contacts in this way or filter them this way. I want this feature. And so a lot of these feature requests, um, we prioritize by you know, doing what a standard product manager would do, thinking about how difficult they would be and thinking about the net positive effect um, on the product. And there's a couple of ways we slice the, the positive effect down. But among them, we think about you know, what this feature um, helps a particular subset of our product audience do um, and how this feature could benefit one of the key product drivers that we have, um, things like accessibility or usability or power. Um, and so that's how we kind of think on a, on a very high level about what a product feature um, or where a product feature should be on our product roadmap. So that's kind of one piece of the future prioritization puzzle. The other is you know, how we talk to users and how we break down this feedback and how we organize it. Um, it's something that we're still trying to get better at. But you know, I've talked to, you know, over the last eight months, like I think 600 people on Intercom thus far um, and been very lucky to just have some kind of one-off quick conversations um, and get people who are willing to offer some feedback on what they care about in the product, what they want. We use this tool called uh, Canny to track our customer feature requests, which we kind of lay out and let people um, vote for whether they want a particular feature or not, which also helps inform the product roadmap. I will say, you know, taking a big step back, it's not easy, right? We have a bunch of feedback from different sources. Feature prioritization is um, something that is always tricky and not something we get perfect all the time. But we are constantly building new features and improving the product. And in that sense, we're always moving forward and not moving backward. So even if prioritization isn't perfect, we are still getting features out the door um, and making progress on the product. So something you mentioned is that when you're coming out with a new feature, you always consider what your 
target audiences in the ocean of your mm-hmm. of your users. How did you bucket your user? What was the process of kind of bucketing your users and understanding who your users are? Because when you're like first starting something, you're told if you you know if you do any research, like find create a description like a user avatar of the, mm-hmm. the perfect person that you want to target and everything. But a lot of times it's not that easy. So I'm I'm interested in learning a little bit more about how you really got to know who your users are and kind of what those buckets might be. Yeah. So one of the ways that we had gotten to know our users is literally just chatting with them. Like Austin, I remember we chatted almost three months back now, maybe four months back. And it was just like a yeah. very, you know, quick like email from I think you just being like, hey, do you want to chat? And I'm always down to chat with customers. Um, and so with those conversations, I can kind of understand, you know, hey, who's signing up for the product? What are they looking for? Um, what type of job they have, the type of relationships they want to add. And, you know, since we're building a business, um, their likeliness to or like their likelihood to pay for the product as well. And these are all kind of things that, um, you know, we take note of um, because users sign up with their name and email. It's not, you know, uh, like we do ask for users to sign up with an account. We can kind of look up who's signing up as well. And we've kind of bucketed the types of people that have signed up into a couple of different personas. So for us, at least there's two kind of big personas and then a couple of smaller ones. But the two big categories are people who use Dex for more social purposes, like keeping in touch with friends, friends from college, et cetera. And then people who use uh, Dex for more business purposes, people who are founders, investors, and meet people for work primarily and want to kind of keep track of their work network. And from there, we have kind of different sub-personas that branch off. Got it. So did you always know, knew you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Like I, I'm assuming that Dex wasn't the your first project or your first go at starting a business. Yeah, uh, it's not. Um, I don't think I've always known I've wanted to be an entrepreneur. I think I have known for a while that I wanted to build products and kind of run that product development lifecycle. So do things like be able to talk to users, be able to actually implement features, be able to get feedback, be able to track analytics, all of that. That's something that I've always wanted to do because I think there's a lot of um, kind of ownership and autonomy that you get through that process. And it's also a way to uh, like take ownership of something and really bring something to completion. And that's a, a super satisfying process. Um, but in terms of building a business, you know, I don't think this is something that I want to do forever. It is something that I'm enjoying the journey on now for, though. So what advice would you give someone who wants to start their, their own business? Yeah, um, you know, I think there's a lot of advice out there already, so this might be something that might be a little bit redundant. I think the top level advice I would give is to make sure that someone out there wants what you're building. I think that's the biggest thing that trips up a lot of people is building something that they're not really sure of people want yet. And if you end up doing that, I think, A, it's really easy to be disillusioned when no one signs up for your product or you don't get the response that you um, had expected. And it's really easy to just like lose steam in a, a morale perspective too. Like you really need that positive feedback of people kind of signing up for your product or giving you feedback to kind of keep you going. Uh, but the second piece of advice, which runs somewhat contradictory to that, is I wouldn't give up too early as well. Like during the course of Dex, you know, I've encountered competitors that look really amazing. And I think people often give up when they see a competitor or a company that fit is doing what you're looking to do. 
Um, and I've also like run launches before, before YC and after YC that have gotten no traction or no new users or no new signups. And I think there are particular points in the course of experimenting with an idea where it's very tempting or very easy to give up. And if you give up too early, I think you are eventually going to close yourself off from opportunities that actually could have turned into something as well. Yeah, I definitely agree with your with both your points. But talking to the the first point, you know, make sure that there's a need for something before you build it. Like today, I was with a few friends and we were talking about the future of fitness and what we kind of think that industry is going to look like moving forward with learning all the things that have happened as a result of COVID and how things have been shutting down and how fitness classes have been shifting and changing and moving online and we're we're talking about an app idea and everyone was so everyone i was speaking to was so adamant on yeah we need to like design the app and we need to find someone to develop it and i'm like no we need to like figure out what an mvp would look like and spend absolutely no money and make people happy and (laughs) then draw it out and say hey like would you use this or speak to people like like you do and say okay like what exactly do you want you know this this meets your needs but what what can we do to make this even better yeah and i think there's a you know that's what you're describing is definitely kind of the the yc school of thought generally which is you know talk to people first before you build right like make sure the demand is there before you build and i think that's generally really good advice i will say it's not advice for all companies out there right like you know for decks if you were to talk to people about whether they want a tool to manage the relationships, a lot of people would say yes. Um, but most people don't exactly know what they want. And you kind of really need to be able to show people something to really get that conversation going and see if they, they want that or not. Um, so generally really good advice, especially if you're building a B2B business is like get the, if you can, the letters of intent or like some intent to purchase before you even start building. Right. So what was, early stage decks, like what did it look like and who were you, you building for? And like, how, how has it changed over time? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, Austin, if you've logged into decks recently, I think you'll be able to see we've changed the product quite a bit over the last um, three or four months. So, you know, you'll probably have some firsthand experience here. So feel free to chime in. But Dex has grown a lot in terms of just the product surface area that we're taking on. Like we used to just be a Chrome extension, then we built this web dashboard where you can kind of track what you've added through your Chrome extension. Um, we're building a mobile app right now. We're building a better set of integrations for your calendar data. So we're taking on kind of more and more of a user's typical relationship workflow and trying to integrate with that workflow more tightly and making it really easy to get information out of Dex and take information out with the key focus on accessibility. Um, you know, I think there have been a lot of users who've signed up in the very beginning, say last last August when we've launched, when they've signed up for Dex and they saw like a super basic web page and a very basic Chrome extension and kind of just like quickly left. But we've been able to build on the product a lot more and we've been, you know, really able to get feedback along the lines of like, hey, you know, I signed up for Dex three months ago, I've come back and it's like a whole new product, which I actually do think um, it is. Uh, so, I mean, to answer your question, you know, we're building product along, product features along um, all of our different fronts. I actually logged in this morning because my friends are like, who are you, who are you interviewing today? 
and I was like, I'm interviewing Kevin Sun, and he's the founder of Dex. And I had to show them what it looked like. And it was, they thought it was super cool. And I'm like, it's, it would be, it's an awesome tool, but you're right. Like there's, it's hard, it's a hard sell when in terms of, if you ask somebody, if they want a personal CRM, you, you ask someone, you know, we, do you want to have more meaningful relationships? Obviously they're going to say yes, but what has been the biggest kind of barrier to entry or kind of hesitation for users when they first start using it, using Dex? Yeah. Great question. I think the biggest barrier to usage is really the work involved with a personal CRM. Like, you know, a CRM, typically when you use uh, a CRM on a sales team, you have to add things manually, you have to update records and opportunities and whatnot. But you do it when you're a salesperson because it's literally part of your job. That's how you get paid. And so you obviously do it. Um, when you are using a CRM or a system for your own personal relationships, there's no money on the line, right? There's no urgency. If you meet with someone and forget to take a note, like if it drops, it drops. There's no like real cost there. And so what we found is there's a good chunk of people who have signed up for Dex, like come in with the intention of making the most of the product, of getting and starting a system of being more consistent with relationships and don't actually remember to follow up. Um, and so the biggest barrier there is really the actual work involved and the forgetfulness of like having to still go in at some point to a different system. Um, I think we've innovated a lot on that particular front, especially with our Chrome extension of being able to kind of hop into Dex without leaving LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, what have you. Um, but I do think we have a lot more work to do on that front as well, um, allowing you to kind of access Dex on the go with a mobile app but also integrating with your calendar events more tightly. So you can get like a push notification before and after your calendar meetings with the, the relevant people that you can add to Dex um, immediately from there. So to answer your question, the biggest uh, barrier for now really is uh, kind of people forgetting to, to come back to Dex. Yeah, and something that I realized from fooling around with it is I really like the, one of my favorite features is the ability to kind of bucket people together mm -hmm. into different groups, I guess. So when I went in, the first thing I did is that I made a group for my friends that from Rutgers and then my high school friends, and then people that I had met at my sophomore internship. And yeah. it's all stuff that's going on in your head. And I think everybody thinks about it. They have these little networks that they tap into and different conversations that they, they had. And it's funny going back to kind of bootstrapped CR, personal CRM tools. I remember I made like a, a Google sheet with that linked to different Google docs that had notes about each one of these people. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was like the best thing, but it took forever to set up. But I was like, this works great. Like it's so good. But yeah, that's, that's interesting that you said, you know, it's tough to kind of keep going back and keep inputting that information. But something that I also want to ask you about, have you guys experimented with like artificial intelligence or like other, I guess, buzzword e technologies <laughs> to implement with Dex? Yeah. So with artificial intelligence, I think there's a couple of ways to break that down. And I'll preface this by saying, you know, the first startup that I worked at, 
was very much one that did predictive modeling. So, you know, familiar with what's out there, and at least for the time being, I don't think that the the areas where we can see the most improvement with DEX um, are going to be benefited from anything that would use artificial intelligence for now. Um, the only product frontiers that we've identified as a potential application for you know, AI of any sort would be some natural language processing um, based on uh, notes that users input or email metadata uh, when and if we connect to a user's email inbox. Um, so we can do things like make the search experience a little bit better for notes. But at the moment, we're really focused on things that are, in some sense, more, more mundane, but also more challenging. Um, how to make a, a user experience or user interface that feels good to use, that feels familiar, but also um, is straightforward and is powerful. Those are the challenges that we mostly deal with. They're not kind of um, AI or like deep tech challenges. So what, I guess, new technologies are you most excited about? Not from a, okay, this is, this could help DEX, but just kind of stuff that you think is interesting and there's the most potential there. Yeah, so I'll, I'll start with a quick note on DEX and just say that, you know, I don't think DEX would have been possible even like three or four years ago. I mean, we use a lot of, uh, technology that has enabled us to build a product that scales really easily um, and has taken a lot of developer time off of building some of our key features. So, you know, in our first month of launching, we were able, we were able to import like 2 million contacts from the different uh, sources that we integrate with. And that would not have been possible or would not have easily been possible as a one-man team if not for things like serverless functions or Lambda functions. Um, so, you know, definitely web technology and the web development experience generally has enabled us to build a product and actually enabled the launch of DEX. Um, speaking outside of that with just general technologies I think are cool, um, there's a whole new world of uh, like quarantine social startups that are popping up. Uh, things mm -hmm. like online town or spatial chat that I think are really cool that are powered by web RTC video um, capabilities. I think there's going to be a lot of interesting opportunities in maybe not enabled by technology, but enabled by the, the strange new world that we're living in, at least for potentially the rest of the year and some of next year when we aren't able to go outside as much or see our friends as much. I think that is a, a challenge and a set of constraints that also people are looking at as an opportunity for new interesting companies and businesses as well. So something I've been thinking about a lot is the future workplace and what that's going to look like, but more so from the social aspect of work experience in terms of getting to know your coworkers, going to do cool things on the weekends, happy hours and stuff like that. What are your thoughts on like virtual happy hours and kind of that creating that social experience if there isn't theoretically, if people aren't going to go back to the office and people are generally just going to work remote from now on, what does that social experience look like? How does, what's the future of networking like? It's interesting you ask that because that's something that we've been experimenting with at Dex too. I mean, we're, we're a very small team, so we're only three people, but we are you know, distributed now. We were, used to be based in San Francisco until COVID. And so we're kind of trying to figure out 
like to what extent you know we're coworkers, but to what extent does being coworkers mean that we are like friends by extension too, or that we do do social things? Like we're not a typical company in that we didn't start off with like three people living together or four people living together doing everything together. Um, so we're we're not as tightly knit there, but trying to figure out like to what degree we should be socializing as coworkers or how we could even do that with Zoom or Slack or email intermediating has been an interesting challenge. We don't really have great answers. We've tried some things, some of them work, some of them haven't. Um, to answer your second question about the future of networking, um, you know, I actually don't really think there is that much certainty in how we're going to be doing professional networking in the future, at least. I think the jury is still out on whether or not our current transition to networking being intermediated by Zoom calls, whether that's something that is actually going to be lasting or sustainable, or if we're going to kind of flip back into the more conventional types of networking, like you know, meeting in person at conferences or meeting in person for coffee. Um, you know, one of the biggest requests that we used to get for Dex is having a mobile app that could scan business cards. And certainly in this age of you know, COVID, scanning business cards suddenly seems not that useful at all. Um, and so there are a lot of variables that are kind of being upset um, in, in this new world. Yeah, and there's a lots of apps out there like CamCard. Um, there's a few other ones that do exactly that. And I think going so going back to what the future of networking might look like, just from like my experience starting this podcast and just trying to keep meeting new people, I've met a lot of people through LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn's mm -hmm. an awesome tool if you really want to hone in on a specific audience or network with a specific group of people. But you're right, you know, to a degree, is that sustainable? Is that what the the future is going to look like? Because because personally, I think that people need that human like one on one connection that sometimes you can't get through a Zoom call. And on a previous podcast, we spoke about I asked the same question, you know, what do you think the future of work is going to look like? What is the you know, digital happy hour going to be? And people are doing these digital happy hours with like on Zoom with like 25 people or 20, 25 people. And you're not replicating what a social experience is like because one person's face is going to show up on the screen. Whoever's loudest is going to be up on the screen. There's no side conversations. There's no, you know, hiding in the corner, just chilling by yourself or you can't be in the middle, like the, you can't listen on a different conversations. It's like a weird, weird thing to think about. But I, I, yeah, I wanted to hear your perspective on that. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, I'm not sure if you've heard of this tool called uh, online town. If you look it up, you can kind of find it. There are tools out there that are trying to, or spatial chat. Um, there are tools that are trying to replicate this happy hour experience. And I think in some sense are, are doing so successfully, but you're right in that, I mean, for most people, myself included, like I'd much rather, you know, grab coffee or get a beer with someone than do a, do a video call or do a, do a Zoom call, right? Like it's a lot more impersonal. Um, I think the quality of the connection um, is affected by not being able to read body language. Um, and so, you know, generally, I think it's a pretty inferior substitute. But, you know, for most people, it's the best we can do right now. And so you kind of just have to cope. Um, so 
I, I am hopeful that we'll kind of come back to a world where we can meet in person more regularly as we used to. But for the purposes of decks and building the product, you know, I don't think it changes too much of our uh, product roadmap and, and core value just yet. I just pulled up Spatial Chat and Online Town and it's kind of interesting. Like Online Town reminds me of like Pokemon, like walking yeah. around <laughs> and like sitting down. That's kind of funny. But another thing I want to ask you about is kind of what your take is on different social medias, because with Dex and if listeners go, definitely go and check it out. But it links your Facebook friends, your LinkedIn friends, Gmail, all into one Rolodex, hence Dex. And each one of your contacts has a specific profile. And with that, you're kind of banking on, okay, like, LinkedIn's going to be LinkedIn serves this purpose with and people have these types of relationships on LinkedIn. People have these types of relationships on Facebook. And obviously the way that those relationships are maintained and the way that they're viewed by different people are going to vary. So I guess what are your general thoughts on the social networks that are on decks and ones that you've might have thought bringing on? Like why, why, why don't you have Snapchat? Why don't you have Instagram? Like what what are your thoughts, general thoughts on social networks? Yeah, so starting with general thoughts on social networks, I think that social networks do have a very, very clear utility. Um, you know, if you add someone on LinkedIn or add someone on Facebook, you'll be able to message them back, right? Like you can send people messages, you can see people's latest updates. I think this is one of the reasons why, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure about you, Austin, but I don't really add people to my phone contacts that much anymore. Like it's... I can message people on Facebook or LinkedIn. Like, you know, I don't really need your number anymore. Um, Me neither. <laughs> and yeah, I don't do it. so for most people, you know, these social networks almost have like a base utility value of like, this is how I keep in touch with you. Like this is, or this is literally how I reach you. Um, and so to that end, you know, social networks are useful for not going away anytime soon. But the problems that social networks don't solve are kind of the problems that we're trying to look at, which is on a higher level, you know, when did you last meet with someone? Where did you leave off with someone? What did you talk about? Um, at a glance, like how would you organize your own relationship? How would you transfer your mental model of your relationships to like some representation? Like is this, do you have five different groups? Do you have four different groups? Do you organize by location, et cetera? And what we try to do with Dex is just give you the option of storing the information of different social networks. So you have that utility to reach out to them in a way that you choose. Like if you add, you know, your friend John to Dex, you maybe be more professionally oriented with John, so you contact him with LinkedIn, but you also might send him email or send him a text message or send him a Facebook message. And we actually, right now at least, don't have any ability or don't have any way to infer that from you. Like we try not to, to read your messages. And so you can kind of add all that information in and if you want to reach out or when you want to reach out, you can kind of do that yourself. The way I'd best describe the hierarchy of relationship um, building and relationship actions are social networks and contacts apps are kind of like a base level of how you do the actual reach out. And what we're trying to build is the level on top of that, which is f organizing how you know people and what the, the metadata of your relationships is 
um, and not take care of the actual kind of communication layer of this is how I kind of reach out more directly, if that makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense because there are certain people that I interact with, like my friend Andy that is working on Greeting Curious with me and building this network of creators. We only talk through, we talk to through like Twitter and yeah. Google, Google Meet and I don't have his phone number. And sometimes I'm like, I'm thinking, you know, why, why don't I have his phone number? But that's like our entire log of messages is on, on Twitter and, or we just like send each other an email and that's just kind of how we interact. But I've always been interested in why we choose certain social network to engage with certain people over certain social networks. And the, a few months ago, I did a social media detox and it kind of like opened my eyes to, okay, I use this for, I use Instagram for this purpose. I use LinkedIn for this purpose. And it gave me like a lot of clarity around, okay, these types of people are like I interact with this group of people here, this group of people here, and this group of people here. And I want to hear your thoughts on that because you mentioned a little bit before, but I mean, what is there, have you seen kind of any consistency with the people you interact with on different platforms? Yeah, or maybe one thing that you're getting at is typically platforms break down into different groups of people as well. Like the, your, your Twitter friends are maybe where your Twitter followers are like more professionally oriented, LinkedIn's more professionally oriented, Facebook's more socially oriented. Um, you know, I don't think I have anything to add there on the uh, front of, you know, how our users use Stacks. Typically, we try not to um, do uh, anything that would kind of violate a user's privacy. So we don't have anything on aggregated statistics there. But I will say, generally, um, we try not to have too strong an opinion of who you can or can't add to Dex. Like Dex, I often get the question, you know, is Dex for your professional relationships or for your personal relationships? And really, Dex is for both and often the intersection, right? Like if you're an MBA student, your classmates might be your personal friends, might also be a very useful professional connection in the future. And that's very much something that we're trying to keep in mind. So in a much similar way, you know, we really don't have a strong opinion of whether you want to add someone from Facebook or LinkedIn. Um, we haven't gotten around to building some integrations that people have asked for at times, things like Instagram or WhatsApp or Telegram, but oftentimes those are more technical constraints than um, like product constraints. Yeah, that's something that I ran into when I was building Napkin a few years ago, which was, we, we talked about it before, but basically it was a networking tool that allowed you to share your social media, your email, and your phone number with a QR code. And it was super basic. It worked, but there, all it was was that it was sharing the links to your profiles. In terms of integration, it's it's hard to integrate with different different social networks. Yeah. I mean, it's Facebook and LinkedIn do not make uh, our jobs easier. Like very much their incentives are to keep the data uh, in their respective platforms, which makes a lot of sense for their own engagement. But, you know, I think that we've been trying to be creative and try our best to allow users when they want to take information out of these networks as well. Right. So... Kevin, we talked about a lot of different things. We spoke about your journey with Dex. We talked about Y Combinator, the future of networking. The last thing I want to ask you is, what do you think it means to be gritty and curious? 
Yeah, so for grit, I think that the number one thing that comes to mind here is, at least in the context of being a founder, you'll face a lot of challenges. Some of them will affect you more than others. And being gritty really means persevering through all that, but also being thoughtful about what battles are not worth fighting and when, when to give up. Um, and I think that is something that uh, I wish I had learned a lesson to earlier, working on my first startup that wasn't working out. Um, and I think being curious and being gritty at the same time means that you're willing to ask the hard questions for yourself as well of like why things aren't working out and whether or not things are salvageable. Because sometimes if you're self-aware and conscientious, um, you can realize that some things are not worth pursuing, whether it be a startup idea or product direction. And it's, it's kind of like up to you to make the final call and make sure that you have the, the resources and the morale to keep moving forward. So Kevin, if people want to learn more about Dex or have any questions for you, what's the best way to get in contact with you? Yeah, so if you want to try out Dex, it's at getdex.com, G-E-T-D-E-X.com. Uh, and if people want to get in contact, feel free to just reach out directly. It's just kevin at getdex.com. You've been listening to The Gritty and Curious Show, where we have conversations with gritty and curious people. If you enjoyed the show, you'd be the best if you subscribed, left a rating, and wrote a quick review. By doing this, you let me know that you're listening and it inspires me to keep creating. Until next time, stay gritty and curious.